Hey, this is Dan Savage, and you've uh, just downloaded the Dan Savage Savage Love podcast. Uh, let's get right to the uh, recorded calls. Mr. Dan Savage, just watching <laughs> the election results on TV. Congratulations and thank you for whatever part you had in bringing Santorum down. <laughs> I got to share the definition of the Friday mixture with many of my friends tonight, uh, who surprised me by not having heard it before. Uh, but now they know, better late than never. <laughs> nice work, yo. Take care. Love you, Matthew. Thanks, Matthew, for your thanks. And I want to thank all the thousands of people now who've emailed me to thank me personally for apparently single-handedly removing Rick Santorum from the U.S. Senate or wiping him off the Senate floor myself. Uh, I did no such thing, of course. I mocked him. Uh, and it wasn't really me. Uh, I, I facilitated it. Uh, I want to. I think we should thank the collective wisdom and genius of Savage Love readers. It was a Savage Love reader who suggested we have a contest to redefine Santorum's name. I, I threw out that out there because I thought recognized that as a good idea, so I played my part. I had readers send in suggestions, readers sent in, readers sent in tons of possible definitions, and then the readers voted on the winning definition, which was, of course, the frothy mix of lube and fecal matter that is sometimes the byproduct of anal sex. Sometimes being the operative word, because if you're doing it right, there won't be any Santorum, which is why I think the term stuck, because if you're doing anal sex right, Rick Santorum is nowhere around. Uh, he'd be an unwelcome guest at a, an anal moment. And would ruin it and kill the buzz if the real Santorum walked into the room or the noun Santorum appeared in the ass crack. It's no good, right? Um, and, you know, I don't want to overstate the, the role that Santorum, the, the lowercase definition, had in his uh, uh, coming down. I do think it helped make him into a national and international joke. The word is out there. It's far and wide. It's made it into, I have examples of it in the medical literature, into other advice columns, into mainstream, into, you know, profanosauruses. It's on Urban Dictionary. I think it's going to outlive him. And, you know, there's a reason why in the, you know, 18th, 19th centuries, European monarchs would lock up satirists and political cartoonists because we made the butt of a joke uh, or to be tagged uh, and made ridiculous is very politically disempowering. And that's what my readers and I, I think, did. Uh, I think it's really telling that on Election Day, November 7th, the editor of the National Review wrote a column about Rick Santorum, fingers crossed, hoping he can get it reelected, that was all about the frothy mix of lube and fecal matter that's, uh, that sometimes is byproduct of anal sex. Took me to task by name, took other people who had sort of made joking, passing references to Santorum, the frothy mix, uh, by name and slapped them around, people like Reason Magazine. Um, and just thought it was terribly unfair all the damage that we had done to Rick Santorum. So if I think that I helped bring down Rick Santorum and my reader here, Matthew, or other readers think I helped do it, that's one thing, and that may look like you know a moment of auto fellatio or, or, or patting yourself on the back. But if the editor of the National Review, which is an arch-conservative magazine, thinks that I helped bring down Rick Santorum and writes a column about it on Election Day, screaming and yelling about uh, what we accomplished uh, by ruining his good name with an invaluable assist from Rick Santorum. We couldn't have ruined Rick Santorum's good name but for Rick Santorum's uh, idiotic statements and, and positions on every issue. Um, if they think that we did it, 
in part, that we helped, uh, then we did it in part. We did help. The new definition did help make him ridiculous, did help bring him down. I think it did help uh, some people, convince some people not to vote for him. It's hard to vote for somebody whose last name you feel like you cannot use in polite company. And Rick Santorum even uh, in some ways stopped using his own last name in polite company. Half his campaign signs, many of his campaign signs, and his bumper stickers in Pennsylvania this year, they don't say Santorum, they just say Rick. Because Santorum is now a dirty word. Uh, even out of the Senate, it's going to be a dirty word. It's like, uh, I'm sorry to go on and on. I just am so chuffed that Santorum's out, that the Dems have the Senate, that the Dems have the House. It's a great moment for America. Um, and what I'm, part of what I'm really chuffed about, you know, is the power of the press. Uh, Santorum is going to be the 21st century quizling. Um, you know what a quizzling is? It's a mealy-mouthed little enabler who, you know, is a backstabber and you know, turns on his friends or his coworkers to please some powerful person or just a quizzling. Well, quizzling was the last name of the Norwegian prime minister when the Nazis invaded, and he helped the Nazis. He stayed on and he, he helped the Nazis. And it sucks to be, you know, someone in Norway now whose last name is quizzling, and there are quizzlings in Norway, when the word all over the world means uh, shit-nosed little toady. And it's going to be suck to be named Santorum forever because it's always going to mean the frothy mix of lube and fecal matter, sometimes a byproduct of anal sex. Who should uh, the little quizlings in Norway today be upset with? Why their ancestor, uh, uh, the, the, the quizling who got their, dragged their name into the mud? Who should uh, present and future day Santorums uh, be upset with when the, their last name can't be used on campaign literature and uh, make school children all over the world blush and titter? Rick Santorum. He did it to himself. We helped him out. He's out of the Senate. It's a brand new day uh, in America. It's a good day for American democracy. And uh, I'd like to conclude this little rant with fuck you, National Review. Hi, Dan. I don't have a problem. But uh, on your first podcast, I just wanted to reflect on one thing for the two hetero guys. Um, I think confidence is the one thing that you left out, too, that maybe they need a confidence boost. I know that by having their friends tell them what's wrong with them, that helps with the confidence. But also, you know, you can be a nice guy, you can be a dick, but, you know, the guys with women have confidence, a bottom line, in my opinion. Anyway, love the show. I hope gays can get married soon. I agree with you. And this coming from a hetero married man, it's really stupid that uh, people want to take that away from you, man. So uh, good luck with that. And, uh... Let me call him. Yeah, confidence is great, and, and, and people need confidence. Sometimes it can be hard to tell someone who is having no luck with women that he needs to look confident to attract them. But I think you can fake confidence. You can, like, observe confident people and learn how they behave and sort of try to do it. Uh, unfortunately, misplaced confidence or, uh, or confidence that is – apparent uh, as overcompensation or, or a false front is repellent to, to, to sex partners. It just looks like cockiness and assholery. Um, however, cockiness and assholery also attract a certain kind of woman. So, yeah, we'll add confidence to the list of things that uh, people who are having trouble attracting women should uh, should begin to do uh, or fake. If they can't uh, feel it, they should fake it. There's lots of things people run out there when they're dating and mating and trying to land partners that they fake, um, including uh, suavity and uh, – and, and niceness and um, consideration and all sorts of things that go by the wayside once it's a long-term relationship. So confidence, guys, do it. Hi, Dan. I don't have a question, but I want to get your opinion on something. Uh, news just came out today and quite recently uh, that there's this pastor, Ted Haggard, 
and he's uh, he has you know the National Association of Evangelicals, you know a really powerful advocate against gay marriage claims to have a weekly conference call with the president, a wife and five kids, that supposedly this guy has been soliciting gay sex from prostitutes for, you know, God only knows. And I guess my question is this: being gay and obviously supporting gay marriage, should I be happy? I mean, seriously, should I find some sort of sick joy in knowing that this guy who, who so vocally stands against what I am is in the midst of like a really tragic fall from grace and that this pretty much paints pretty badly the evangelical argument against gay people, you know, that even someone like Ted Haggard can be gay? Or, I don't know, does it even matter? Does it just mean there's one more middle-aged guy who's suddenly out of the closet or, in my opinion, more importantly, one more family out there that has to deal with finding out that their dad is gay. I don't know. I was just seeing if you had some input, so if you do, let us know. So how should we feel when a Ted Haggard is exposed? Uh, when a closeted, uh, well, when an anti-gay bigot and a really powerful one, like you said, weekly conference call with the president, head of the National Association of Evangelicals, uh, is revealed to be a self-hating, lying, piece-of-shit, closet case, uh, scum-sucking, uh, meth-snorting, whore-booking faggot. Uh, how should we feel about that as uh, healthy adult faggots who, you know, some of us have snorted meth and some of us have booked whores. There's nothing necessarily awful about recreational drug use. I think recreational drugs should be legal. I think meth is terrible and people shouldn't do meth, um, not because I believe in just say no. I believe in just say yes to other drugs and better drugs. Uh, and I believe that sex work uh, should be legal. And if there's anything the whole haggard meltdown shows us, I think, is that culturally we've reached a point, the gay rights movement has reached a point where people believe and are convinced that it is a more shameful thing to be a deceitful, lying, piece-of-shit closet case than to be a hard-working, honest uh, whore. People aren't coming down on Mike Jones for selling sex or outing Haggard. People are coming down on Haggard for lying to his congregation, himself, his wife, his kids, the president, the whole world. So how should we feel about this? I think we should be uh, delighted. I think we should make a joyful noise onto something or other. Uh, about Haggard's demise for, for, for many reasons. Um, a, because we should always be happy when a hypocrite is exposed as the hypocrite that he is. But, so, but how do we as gay people wrestle with the idea that, you know, this is telling people that, that, that all gay people are like this? I don't think it's telling people that. I think it's telling people that closeted gay people are like this. It's also what the Mark Foley scandal told people. Closeted gay people are the ones who do, I think, outrageous, risky, stupid things. Uh, out-of-the-closet gay people, as I said in an op-ed I wrote for the New York Times, uh, really are accountable to their partners and their friends and their families uh, for their actions and behaviors, and also are less likely to engage in desperate, pathetic, risky horseshit to get their needs met, because they can get their needs met in other healthier ways. Uh, and finally, I think the real upside for us is that someone like a Haggard makes anti-gay activism uh, seem like an expression of gay self-loathing. We should now try to turn this on people. Anybody out there, Lou Dobson, uh, Fred Phelps, uh, all these people who are anti-gay, we should look at them. And in public, we should say, oh, you hate gays? That's so gay. We should use that high school expression. Like, oh, you must be one. Like that haggard guy. Lou Dobson, you must, not Lou Dobson, uh, <laughs> Lou Sheldon, you must be one. You must be a big steaming faggot like that Haggard guy. If you hate gays so much, if you're so obsessed with gay sex, Rick Santorum, for example, if you're so obsessed, wow, you must really be a faggot like Haggard.
and we can uh, hopefully scare some people off the anti-gay activism bandwagon with uh, by playing to their own homophobia, whether or not they're gay at all, just by uh, pointing at them and saying, faggot, 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 until they shut up and go away. So how should we feel about Haggard? We should all be de-fucking-lighted. We should feel bad for Haggard's wife. We should feel bad, really bad, for Haggard's kids, but we didn't do anything to Haggard's kids or Haggard's wife. Haggard did. So we should feel bad. We should, we should empathize. But uh, secretly and uh, publicly, I think we should have a, a big dance. We should have a circuit party in Colorado Springs to celebrate this. Hey, Dan. Uh, I am a 31-year-old gay male. Um, I just recently got into a relationship with a 28-year-old. It's pretty much the first serious relationship that either of us have been in. Everything's going great. Um, I couldn't be happier. The sex is even pretty good, but both of us kind of never having been in relationships before and being gay men with, you know, both having vast porn collections are kind of having some intimacy issues. Let's just put it that way. Um, I think you've mentioned it before as being the whole, basically, it it seems to me that we may have ruined ourselves with too much masturbation. Um, I'm just wondering if there is any way around this, if there's any way to um, to kind of get past this or if we're just completely screwed. Um, basically, it's that whole death grip thing I think you've mentioned before. Um, any advice you could give us? Um, it, it, we're, it's still, I mean, it's not bad. I mean, neither of us are completely unsatisfied with the way that things are going, but it would be nice if we, you know, if there was some way to uh, make it happen. The masturbatory death grip is something I've written about a lot in Savage Love because it is a problem for a lot of men. Men will masturbate, masturbate, masturbate uh, in between or in lieu of a partner or until they get a partner. And then when they get a partner, they find that the stimulation provided by somebody else's mouth or uh, butt or vagina doesn't quite match the stimulation that they were giving themselves with their usually uh, too firm uh, a grip. Um, you know, when you, when you, if you want to have those, uh, you know, when you say some way to make it happen, I assume you're referring to those look ma, no hands orgasms. You're having sex with them. You're screwing them. You're fucking them. You're inside them. And just that sensation uh, is enough to get you over the top and get you off. And those are the orgasms we see in the movies. Those are the orgasms we all expect to have when we grow up. Those are the orgasms we think about when we masturbate about being with somebody. Um, what you need to remember when you're masturbating, what needs to be emphasized, especially to young gay guys or young guys, period, is that those sensations tend to be delicate. Uh, you know, nobody's uh, ass or vagina or mouth is going to be able to uh, grip you like your hand and your opposable thumb is going to be able to grip you. So you need to be varying the sensations. You need to masturbate in different ways. And it's a real tragedy for some guys. They grow up masturbating. I've I've got letters from people who guys who grew up masturbating by putting their penis between their mattress and box springs and fucking the bed. That is not the sensation you're going to get when you put your penis between someone's uh, butt cheeks and, and and fuck their ass or you fuck somebody's uh, some woman's uh, vagina uh, when you get to go inside. Uh, and so you need to to mix it up and vary. So what do you do if you've been masturbating all your life in one particular way with one particular grip and uh, you're screwed? Well, you stop masturbating in that way, and you basically stop having orgasms for a while. You have to kind of go cold turkey and force your dick to learn that it just ain't going to be that way anymore. 
and eventually your dick will, in desperation, begin to uh, achieve orgasm through other more sense delicate sensations. Um, but I, I'm, I actually want to uh, bring this caller into the conversation because I have some follow-up questions, so we're going to give him a buzz and get him on the phone. Hello. All right, so we've got Minneapolis on the line. He's the gay man. Uh, 31, 32, you said? 31. 31 with a 28-year-old partner, first relationship for both, and you have discovered that you've both been using the death grip masturbation technique for so long that you can't, you say, make it happen. And I assume by that you mean what? Uh, well, he can't get me off. Uh, well, I, I, I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk specifically about me. He can't get me off through oral sex, and it's, it's an issue. Uh, why is it an issue? Uh, it, it just... Uh, Shreds his self-esteem, makes you feel like you're not there for him. Yes, yeah. I, I think it, I mean, as time goes on, I think it's going to be more of an issue. And it's, it's psychologically just, important for somebody uh, that you're having sex with to feel like they can make you come, that they can give you yes. this pleasure. Yeah. Um, there's also, uh, you know, the look, ma, no hands, orgasm thing that uh, I talked about for a minute there. Um, that yep. we all feel like that's adult sex, is that you don't have to use your own hands. You can use their butt, their face, uh, their vagina if you're with a woman. Um, mm-hmm. And so your question is, like, how do you do what do you, How do you get past it? And is, I assume that there, you, you grew up masturbating I, with a really firm grip. Yes. And nobody and ever I, warned I, you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the only warning that I ever got was about, you know, like the, the kind of, like, religious thing, like the ridiculous things that you think when you're in junior high, like people will know and if, you know, that kind of stuff. I never had any kind of warning about until way, way later in reading your column, until it was way too late, basically. Well, it's not too late. Uh, it just may take a long time to undo, uh, the, the, I don't want to say the damage, because it's not damage, just to undo the expectations that you've created in your deck about the intensity of stimulation. But you can't undo it. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's kind of a long, hard slog. What you have to do is uh, stop coming, basically. You know, you have to say, this is how I will come. If he, you know, if I can get off in his mouth for however long he can reasonably blow me, uh, if, you know, you're just oral guys, then you get to come. And if after that amount of time you haven't come, you don't come. So basically, your dick will stop expecting that, you know, if this doesn't work, at least we have the hand to resort to. And you kind of go cold turkey that way, and you retrain your dick, and you, your dick will learn to appreciate those sensations, particularly if you knock off the extra hard, firm sensations. There's also the solution of his own hands. Like, you can get yeah. someone a blowjob with a fist wrapped around their dick. Yep. And a lot of blowjobs are like that. He doesn't like to do that or want to do that or doesn't have hands. Well, it, it, it's still kind of new. We haven't really gotten to the point yet um, where where we're kind of like directing each other, but I I, I know I mean we've we've got wide open communication. So well, you should get you should immediately get to the point where you're directing each other. I mean nobody wants okay. to be told, hey your technique sucks, um, and so you don't put it like that. You don't say yeah. uh, what you're doing is terrible and wrong. You say uh, this is what really helps me get there. Yeah. You know, and it, you make it about you those marvelous I statements. I need this, and this is what works for me, and what you're, you know, and I know you can do it. And, and most people will, and people will sometimes not want to say that because they feel like they're going to hurt the other person's feelings. And what ends up hurting the other person's feelings is the realization down the road that they were doing something that didn't work for such a long time, and you didn't feel secure enough for them to tell them what did work. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So I would open up that line because when that happens, when someone finds out like a year into it that everything that they were doing before that that they thought was working didn't work, they feel humiliated. Yeah. You know, and they feel kind of violated. So you should 
Go ahead. We're, we're lucky that we're uh, it's early enough on. I mean, we're two maybe coming up on two and a half months into this, so it's all pretty new, all of it. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Um, why? Okay, can I ask you a personal question to follow up? Sure. So you're 31 years old, and this is your first uh, sort of serious relationship, and you're two and a half months into it. Um, a lot yeah. of I hear from a lot of gay guys who have a similar have similar issues about not being able to form sort of uh, not to be able to date or have sort of long termish relationships in their 20s. Did you have that problem? Uh, I, I think so. I, I it's really weird how it all kind of came together with this particular person. It, it's almost like. I was kind of hiding for a long time because I, I, my, I, I think what it was is that my parents had kind of a really painful, I mean, the, there was a really painful part with the divorce, and I think that I had abandonment issues to the point where I was kind of just keeping people at arm's length, and it just, it all kind of fell into place, like with my job and with going to school, and basically my self-esteem got built up to the point where I think that I just started attracting people, mm-hmm. and this person just happened to be the right person that came along. Well, cool. Congratulations. Uh, do what you. you can to keep it keep it working. Yeah, it, it, it's it's going great now. I mean, I, I it, it, you know. But you can you see the seeds can. of discontent being planted in, like, the look in his eyes when he can't make you come, right? <laughs> Not really. I, I, I don't think it's gotten to that point yet because he, uh, the person that I'm with, he's actually on Paxil, which kind of works against him, too. So we've both kind of got these things working against us. Sexually, but we're we're open enough to the point where we can talk about it, which is good. I mean, the the worst thing, like you said, is to sit there and just continue to suffer and not mention it. The other, the, the final thing I want to say though is, you know, we tell women who need, you know, seventy five percent of women can't come from vaginal intercourse alone. They need uh, direct, intense clitoral stimulation on top of being fucked. Um, and yeah. the twenty five percent of women who can come from, you know. Uh, vaginal intercourse alone, are getting intense uh, stimulation, uh, clitoral stimulation, either inside uh, with their interior clitoral tissues or outside with the grind. So there really is no such thing as a vaginal orgasm. But we say to women, you know, whatever it takes, do it. You know, have your orgasms come. And there's a point at which we should say to guys who have your problem, you know, if you work on it, it really can't be solved. Like, you have a right to the direct, intense kind of feeling that it takes to get you off. And, you know, if, if it's, you know... If you work at it and it, you really can't get over the hump, then you have to, like, show him how to provide you with his fist or his mouth um, and his fist that sort of intensity. And accept that your dick works the way it works. You know, there are some guys who've trained themselves to be this way, and there are some guys who are this way. Just like there are some women who have to have a vibrator to get off. Nothing else does it. You know what I mean? So how long, how long do you think that I should give it? I think you should give it, you should give it at least three or four months. Okay. We're, uh, and I'm serious. Like, don't come. Okay. If you can't get there from, like, you know, and, and, and you can request intensity. You don't. It doesn't have to be like he's just licking your dick like a lollipop, and if you don't come, you don't yeah. have to come. Like, he should. It should be intense. Clearly, you're an intense guy. But if you know you want to get to no no look, ma, no hands. You're not doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. Then if, he, if you can't do it with him, if he can't do it for you, just don't come. But doesn't he, every one of those sex. Uh, uh, sexual encounters can't be a referendum. You know, you guys have to talk about it and understand it as, like, it's not like he's failing. It's like, you guys are working on your dick. You're going to get it there together. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's a project, and not, like, every time you guys have sex, he failed, you failed. You know, you're climbing the mountain. Okay. All right. Okay, Thank well, you very much. Hey, good luck and congratulations, and uh, I hope you. you end up being with this guy forever. He sounds dreamy. 
I think you're I think you're awesome personally. I I keep waiting for you to have your own TV show. Uh, that'll never happen. I say fuck too much. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Dan. Bye. Well, that concludes uh, podcast number four for Savage Love. I'm Dan Savage, and uh, I appreciate all the questions this week, especially the questions about my old nemesis, Rick Santorum. If you'd like to record a question for a future Savage Love podcast, perhaps next week's Savage Love podcast, call 206-201-2720 and uh, leave your question. And if you'd like me perhaps to call you back, like I called Minneapolis back, uh, be sure to include a phone number. And that's it, and we'll uh, be talking to you next week.